We just finished. Boker Tov. Yesterday we completed chapter 14 of Sefer Shemuel Bet. To, to review, the chapter saw the return of Avshalom to Yerushalayim. Okay, when Avshalom originally had come back, at the end of the chapter he returns to Yerushalayim, when he originally came back to Yerushalayim, David said, you know what? Bring him back to Yerushalayim, but I don't want to see his face. So he kept him apart. And that greatly frustrated Yerushalayim. So Avshalom keeps sending for Yoav to go tell David to let him back into the king's house and so he could see his father. And Yoav doesn't want to approach him because probably Yoav is thinking, I don't want to deal with this guy. Like, I already went out on a limb to hire this Isha to go eat for him and so on. And like, Yoav just doesn't think he's going to get anywhere so he doesn't want to do anything. So he ghosts, as they say in the business world, Avshalom. And then Avshalom gets very frustrated. You know, whenever like, you're a salesman, and somebody just stops answering your emails. So imagine you like light their yard on fire just to get them to respond. So that's basically what Avshalom did, okay? <laughs> he, <laughs> just the thought of it is funny. So Avshalom, he, um, he sends his messengers, which I found was significant because that's always how he does his, his wrong deeds. He sends his messengers to burn the field of Yoav, the barley field of Yoav. And Yoav's like, okay, what? why did you burn my field? And he said, because I wanted to send you to my father to request that he uh, bring me in. So Yoav went and, um, and he told him. So, so the king called up Shalom. And then he came to the, his father. Yoav Shalom came to his father. And his father, Vaishaka Melech, lit up Shalom. And he kissed him. And we said that's a very passive kiss. It's not like a Vaipolat Savara, Vaishakehu, or Vaipolat Savarevin, Yamin Achiv, Vayevk. Other times when two characters met after a long time, they fall on each other's shoulders and cry. Here, it seems like David didn't really want to have much to do with Avshalom, so he's doing the least possible that he could do, which once again, frustrates Avshalom, for in the next chapter, we see Avshalom begins to try and rebel against the king, which is the long story of his rebellion. Now, what was the reason Avshalom wanted to come see the king so badly? So we said yesterday, it's probably frustration, he got so close. He's almost there, and he doesn't get there at the end, and it's frustrating. I'm like, I, I want to see my father already. Now, Moshe was saying very interesting that I also saw in some of the Mefarshim that I think is, could be even more the Peshat. And that is when Avshalom killed Amnon, he ran away to Geshur. He ran away to his mother's house, his mother's side, which was outside of Israel. And why would he do that? Because if he stays in the king's court, then one of the brothers of Amnon or one of the family members of Amnon who want to avenge the blood of Amnon are going to go and kill him. So he goes and he runs away somewhere where he's out of the reach of the people. Now he comes back to Yerushalayim and you have to understand that Yerushalayim is a dangerous place for Avshalom because all of the family of Amnon are still in Yerushalayim. That's where they are. So now all of a sudden, Avshalom is taking a risk by coming back to Yerushalayim. And he expects that when he comes back, it'll be done with the official stamp of the king. So that'll protect him. And the family will know, okay, Avshalom is, is in the clear. We can't touch him. But instead, he goes to Yerushalayim, but he's in a separate home. And everybody knows it. And it's not private knowledge. So now Avshalom is even more in danger. And, and one of the things that makes Avshalom so anxious and which is why he ultimately burns the field of Yoav is maybe because now he's a lame duck, he's a sitting duck, right? And 
that's dangerous for him. So he pressures his father and he gets the official approval of his father. So he goes back to his father's house. Ultimately, his father did, still didn't want to have much to do with him. So Avshalom is left you know, frustrated still. But according to Moshe, one of his main incentives would have been to protect himself from potential avengers of blood. Okay? Now we begin chapter 15 of Shemuel Bet. And this is the real start of the rebellion of Avshalom. We're studying the rebellion of Avshalom against David. Okay? And it was after this, Avshalom made for himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run in front of him. Now what's interesting is, is Avshalom the king? Of course not. So to make a chariot and horses, it could be that a prince in the kingdom would have his own chariot and horses. But to have a chariot and horses and 50 men running before you is more pomp, right? That's more, that's more, that's more, uh, more arrogant, that's more, that shows more grandeur. Mm-hmm. Which, as we know, you know, what was one of the commandments against that a king is not allowed to do in Sefer Devarim? Have too many horses. He cannot have too, too many horses. So we associate having susim with the king. That's something that the king does. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, he goes and acquires f- uh, horses and a chariot and 50 men to run before him. He's starting to p- portray himself as a king. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, why would Avshalom portray himself as a king? Is he only thinking to just rebel against David? Or maybe he's also thinking, well, I'm handsome, as we saw before. And I'm known as dead. I'm known as the oldest. Next I'm next in line. So... I just want to position myself so that David gives me the kingship. In fact, that's what some of the Mepharshim say. They say he wasn't even trying to rebel and kill David. He just wanted to force David's hand into giving him the kingdom next. That's what some of the Mepharshim say. Okay, so he starts his, his, his uh, tactic is first to present himself, to present well. He presents with a chariot and horses. Pasuk Bet. Ve'ishkim Shalom, And then Shalom got up. Ve'amad al And he stood next to the gate. Now, the gate was like the courthouse. Of the city of Yerushalayim. And anyone who would have a fight to bring before the king. For a court case, for, just, for, for judgment. Oh, you're here today for court. The king is judging you today. Which city are you from? Meaning he asks about the guy. I want to know where you're from. Oh, you're from that city? Oh, I love that city. I have a, an uncle who, who, who built a building there. I don't know. He says something like that. Okay? So he says, What city are you from? I'm from one of the cities. Meaning the point isn't uh, to know the city. The point is he's trying to show that as uh, Dale Carnegie says in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, if you show interest in other people, it's something that's very likable. Oh, where are you from? I want to know more about your city. I heard very good things about your city in the north. Okay? Mm-hmm. And he says, wow, I hear you. And the guy tells him his, all of his pains and his aches and his complaint about the other guy that he was in a court case with. And he says, uh, Avshalom says to him, oh, wow, whatever you're saying is so true and it's so right. It's so unfortunate that you don't know the king is not even listening to you. The guy comes from his court case. You know, and he's going into the king. The king's not going to listen to you. The king doesn't care for people like you. You know, I care for people like you. The king doesn't care for people like you. But if only 
I were to become the, the ruler or the judge of the land, then any man who would come to me that would have a court case and a problem, I would make him just. I would give him his, the proper... I, I would make him right. I would make him the tzaddik. Now what's the problem with saying that? You, you have no idea what the case is. First of all, he doesn't know what the case is. Any man who comes to you with a court case, you're going to make him... You're going to give him a give him positive verdict? So he does not, doesn't know what the court case is, but even worse. He says, any man, all men who come to me, I will give them the positive verdict. But in a court, you always have to side with one side over the other, or you stalemate. But you're not, not going to give a positive verdict to both sides. One side is wrong and one side is right. So the fact that Avshalom could even say this is mufrach, it's already impossible to happen, right? It's a mufrach meikara, as I would say, I think something like that. Alright, so it's impossible. What do you mean? You're going to give a positive verdict to every single person? What does this mean? What does this tell you about Avshalom? That he's a politician. Mm-hmm. That he's trying to get people to like him. Right? <clears throat> we care about the middle class. Everybody always, care, everybody always cares about the middle class. We right. care about the middle class. Why? Because the middle class is the biggest class. I care for 80% of the people. I want everybody to have good. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do good by everyone except for the minority. Because the minority doesn't have enough votes to vote me out. Okay? And then when these people come and they were so grateful to him because A, he showed care, he showed, he asked them where they live. B, he said he's going to make them just and he's going to give them the proper, the good verdict. So when the person came to bow to him, what would he do? Classic. He would say, no, 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 no. He would hold him so that the guy wouldn't be able to bow. Classic, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. he, would, he would hold him, he would hold the guy before the guy was able to bow, and he would kiss him. I said, you're not, you, don't, you don't bow to me, I'm nobody. Also very endearing. There's a um, very funny, I don't know if any of you have seen Shabab Nikim, but I'm not uh, advertising a TV show, I'm just saying that uh, there was this one scene in which this young kid becomes Rosh Shiva, and then he asks that they sing Yamim for him. <laughs> right? And then um, he, he asked them to start singing. He asked the yeshiva to sing for him. And then he stands outside the room. And he sends like his, his guy to go and to have the whole yeshiva sing for him. So like he sends, he sends this, like, his helper, go tell everybody in the yeshiva to start singing because I'm walking in now. So he like asks for it. And then <laughs> as he walks in, the kid's like, <laughs> and he's like, I don't want, I don't want this. I don't, I don't want, the, I don't want the kavod. It's, I think it was the funniest scene ever because it was so on point. Okay, so that's exactly what Avshalom is doing, right? Yeah, anybody who tries to bow to him, he says, Oh, don't bow to him. Who, who am I? What are you talking about? And he did this to everybody who came. Asher Mishpat, who came to judgment for the king. And he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. Now, why would this work? Because people came from all over Israel. People came from all over Israel to get to go to court to have a court case before the king, right? So let's say the court, the king is doing twenty people every day, and they're from random cities across the land. So he befriends this guy, and then this guy goes back to his friends back at home. And when he's at the coffee house, he's telling, "Oh, you guys have some. David has this one son. I'm telling you, this guy is our next king." And then that way he gets representation throughout all the land of Israel, and everybody I'm starts. Sure they're also not getting much attention. 
coming yeah exactly people that are coming from random cities are, the fact that even ask oh what city are you from probably means a lot of these people are coming from random places okay and it was after 40 years Avshalom says to the king I made a promise before God I promised that I'm going to bring a sacrifice before God I need to go bring that sacrifice in Hebron now there are two points Jason you remember this um, is he allowed to bring a korban in Hebron or no? So according to the Mifarshim, because right now the Beit HaMikdash did not stand in Yerushalayim, and actually the temple was in Giv'on, because of that he was allowed to bring Bamot outside of Yerushalayim at this point. So that's allowed. Okay, once, that's once allowed. it's placed in Yerushalayim, once it's placed in Yerushalayim you're not allowed to do Ah, uh, So that's the second question. Now what does it mean 40 years? So this Pasuk begins the, rebe- the official rebellion, because Avshalom is not going to bring Korbanot. He's going to Hebron for some other nefarious reason. But what is 40 years? What is it after 40 years? So you may think that it means after 40 years of David's reign. But we know that David started his reign at 30 and he died at 70. So yeah. 40 years would have been his death. Yeah. Not the, the rebellion of Shalom was three to five years before David's death. Right. So what is 40 years? So according to the Farshim, it's 40 years from when Am Israel asked for a king. When did Am Israel ask for a king? Right before Shaul, who reigned for two, three years, right? So this would be... So the reason it's significant according to the Mifarshim is that, is that um, it's trying to show what was the problem when Am Yisrael asked for a king? That they said, we want a king like the rest of the nations and then Shimuel got upset at them and he warned them the king isn't going to be so good. So why is it pointing us, bring us back to that story? To tell you that already only 40 years after Am Yisrael already made that request for a king, they're already getting a corrupt king. The first two kings were good to the people. I know Shaul was a little bit mean to David, but overall he cared for the people. And David was obviously overall good for the people. At least not overall, very good for the people. Avshalom is in it for himself. He's not in it for the people. And like Shemuel had warned 40 years ago that the king is going to take your money and he's going to be in it for himself and he's going to be selfish and he's going to abuse his power. Already that's coming true, just 40 years after. Now 40 years is always a period of time in Tanakh in which generational change happens, right? It took 40 years for the, de- for the desert generation that left Egypt to become the generation to move into Eretz Israel, right? Um, 40, 40 is a number that represents a major shift. And you could, you could say that within 40 years, the excitement of wanting to serve Am Israel kind of got boring, and now the king is in it for himself. Because the generational, the, first, the early generation of kings, they really cared for the people. Second gen of kings, they already spoiled, they've been in the palace, they just want to amass power, and they're in it for themselves. Just like we see in Israel today, right? The early generation of Israelis were very motivated, they're all Zionists, they all would fight to the death for the sake of Eretz Israel. Now the next generation is not a Zionist. You know, the next generation, the most Zionist people in Israel are the ones that are Zionists for religious reasons. But those original Zionists that were secular... Their descendants are not typically as Zionist as their original ones. Why? Because generation passes, the motivation and the excitement wanes. So that could be what's going on in this, why it's mentioning 40 years, to tell you that by 40 years already what Shemuel said 40 years ago is coming to pass. And what's Avshalom's uh, excuse to David? He said, when I was in Geshur, I told Hashem that if you bring me back to Yerushalayim, I'm going to bring uh, service to you. I'm going to bring a uh, korban to you. So now I need to go to Hebron to bring a korban. If I was David, I'm, I'm asking one question. Chubdur here. 
Why are you going to Hebron? You have to go to Hebron to do the Korban? Why, why in Hebron? So, so, uh, but he doesn't ask because we know David has become a little bit passive. He's just he's dealing with, he just like doesn't care anymore. He doesn't care. He's, he's just letting things go as they, as, they, as they wish. So he says, okay, go in peace. By the way, Avshalom never ends up returning to David. Meaning there's going to, at some point in the next few chapters, Avshalom is going to die and David is going to never see him again. So they say, Based on this, that when you send the person away, you shouldn't say lech bishalom, you should say lech lishalom. Because lech bishalom has like a bad, like a, in Tanakh, it, it had a negative outcome whenever David said that. Okay? What's different than there's with? Yeah, with peace or to peace. Go to peace or go with peace. Ultimately, it's the same thing, just David. Because David said it, he never saw him again, so it's like a Jewish tradition not to use that when we're saying bye to someone. Lech bishalom, yeah. Okay, and now Avshalom is on his way to Hebron, and he's going to Hebron not to bring korbanot, but to announce that he is a new king because he's already won the hearts of the people, and now he just wants to announce that he's king. Now, why would he go to Hebron? Why Hebron? Do you remember where David started his reign? In Hebron, it's Sheva Shanim Malach Hebron. He ruled seven years in Hebron, and then thirty-three years Malach al Israel. Right. Now, almost done. Um, we'll, we'll pause right now. But, but the point is, now he's going back to David's original reign, or original place. He's going back to Yehuda. Hebron is deep within the territory of Yehuda. So he's going there. And the reason he would do that, according to Elisa Amnon Bazak, is very simple. When David moved the capital from Hebron to Yerushalayim, who probably was most upset? Yehuda. Hebron. Because he left Hebron. Yeah, that after seven years, you're what? You're now you're ditching us and you're going to all of Am Israel. So now Avshalom, his argument to the Hebron people is very strong, saying, "I'm going to bring back your glory." But isn't you should like Isn't he supposed to be Melech of Melech Israel? Not yeah, but Avshalom is in it. He's he's trying to find support wherever he can, wherever he can. So he gets support from random people throughout Israel. But where is going to be his base of support? Well, it's a very strong pitch if he goes to the people of Hebron and he says, My father left you guys for Yerushalayim. He left you guys for all of Israel. I'm going to bring your glory back. So he's going to announce his kingdom there. I think this is also like the after the 40 years, like the original. Right.